So check this out. I got word that Hulu threw this crazy party in Beverly Hills with literally all of the biggest reality TV stars. I'm talking about all the Bravo lebs, Candy Burris, Portia Williams, James Kennedy, Jax Taylor, even Captain Lee and Kate Chastain. Here's the genius part. If you want to find out what happened at the party, you have to watch the commercials. Yes, I know I'll be tuning in and then signing up for a free trial to get my favorite reality TV shows at Hulu.com. Better Call Saul Season 5 Episodes 1 and 2 are over. But we're just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. The Better Call Saul Post Show Recap is back. Hello, everyone. I'm Antonio Mazzaro. It is my pleasure to be podcasting this season once again about Better Call Saul. And it's also my pleasure tonight to be joined by not one, but two of my best podcast pals. First, Josh Wiggler. Josh, welcome to the Better Call Saul podcast. Well, I'd heard that there was a 50% off deal here. Uh, on the podcast and I got very excited about it, but it's like, there's like a 75% on 75%. Let's hope we can hit that number. We would be a full hunch. Let's hope we can hit the 75% number. Uh, I'm also joined, uh, and really thrilled, uh, to be getting some time tonight with the person who I've podcasted with better call Saul about the entire time, this entire run, Rob Sesternino, Rob, you are the 50% on, uh, I'm so thankful that you're here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you are the addition, uh, you, you're a busy man. Uh, and I'm so happy that you found time, uh, to talk to us about better call Saul. You're, you're doing something with survivor right now, uh, that is truly incredible. What, how many hours of podcast did you have for one hour of TV last <laughs> are, week? Are we Rob? counting shows that I did or the shows that everybody did all together? Let's count, well, let's do both. Let's do yeah, let's do I'd you to and do then both. total. I don't know. It, it it was a lot. I mean, frankly, I, I didn't really have time for this, but you know, um, we're stuck in this elevator, so uh, we might as well talk <laughs> we it through. You. Yeah. yeah, yes. We you. I uh, tell you what, somebody's getting some legal services from me uh, for half of the payment here, so that'll work just fine. Yeah, Rob, uh, why don't you tell everybody what the plan is for us this season on Better Call Saul? You're just going to jump in uh, when you're available. Is that? If we're hoping to have you uh, at least tonight and then maybe once again before the season's over, but I don't want to speak for you. Yeah, this is uh, not a great time to uh, be podcasting about a lot of different shows because it is uh, basically uh, almost everything that we talk about uh, is on right now. Which It's uh, happening yeah, all at yes. once. <laughs> it's happening. There's a lot it's of crazy. stuff. A yeah. lot of stuff all coming back all at once. I mean, that basically, last fall... Uh, could have been a great time for Better Call Saul to uh, come back. Instead, you know, they come back from their uh, yadas since the fall of 2018 and decide that this is the perfect time to get back. I guess, this is, Antonio, this is like classic uh, Saul time slot of that uh, started here around like this time of year. Yeah, and they they did push it back because of El Camino, I think, uh, the Breaking Bad movie that you and I, Rob, podcasted about uh, at the end of last year yeah. uh, that, that aired on Netflix originally and now has since aired on AMC. Uh, we podcasted about that, uh, and I think that they 
I think they pushed Better Call Saul production back in part because of that movie. So here we are in in February yeah. uh, and at the end or the end of February, beginning of March, talking about Better Call Saul. And like you said, there's just so much uh, that's going on in your podcast world. And here at Post Show Recaps, Josh, the schedule here is packed. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. I mean, so now we've got Better Call Saul in the mix. Walking Dead just returned this week. I'm actually going to be recording the premiere recap with Jessica Lease uh, in about an hour and a half from now, as of this moment that I'm speaking these words. Uh, the Down the Hatch podcast is continuing. Westworld is coming back. We actually have some uh, announcements about plans for the Westworld podcast, how that's going to change here on Post Show Recaps in the near future. But that's coming back March 15th. Uh, Star Trek is here. Uh, Jess and Mike are talking about that. So we've got uh, we've got the Curb podcast, which is like a big <laughs> mistake that Rob made a very big mistake. And we've just kind of snowballed into a full-blown Curb podcast with Akiva. What was uh, my mistake, for the record? I just should have put my foot down and said no yeah, Curb I think podcast. You, probably, you need to be more precious with your time and you need to be like you yeah. have to defend the plate a little bit more perhaps you should have curbed uh, your enthusiasm yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. maybe just a little bit but i think like the the, the promise of like uh, a free cell phone was enticing we kept enough it, we've kept it tight that's the one yeah. saving grace yeah we did a half hour today which is a half hour podcast was a was a blessing yeah. Diane knew. Uh, the, but we've the got, half we've hour got, small talk beforehand was probably the mistake We've got so many podcasts happening on on post show, and that's like in addition to all of the stuff that's happening over at RHAP. So, Better Call Saul, dense show. It's it's a really like lean forward kind of television. Um, you know, a lot that goes unsaid, but it's still on the screen. You can't be uh, sidetracked. You can't be looking at your phone. You can't be stressed out about the next thing you've got to do. Uh, so, I think with just so much on the plate, um, it, it makes sense. This this is a hard one to have to do right now. Well, and we, but we didn't want to drop the ball and not cover it here at Post Show Recaps because we've done so every season. Uh, we didn't want to let it slide. So, Josh, you and I, slip. you and I, we, we have no <laughs> slipping here. Uh, you and I will be podcasting about this season. Uh, and when Rob wants to hop on, uh, or is available to hop on, when we reach out to Rob and Rob is available, uh, hopefully we'll get Rob in. Uh, Rob will get you before the end of the season or maybe at the end of the season. Uh, you're like the gene of this podcast, I think. It's like, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's a good call. Oh, yeah, we yeah. just get you for the premiere. Uh, yeah. it's like a really, <laughs> it's like a very black and white take on everything going on in Better Call Saul yeah. land. Um, we'll yeah. check back in with you for the the season, the final season premiere. Right, I've changed my no, mind. I'm gonna fix it myself, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's coming back. I, he's back. I you heard him. My that uh, hottest take. My hottest take is I think we're going to see Gene again before the end of the season. I think last season we had two Genes, right? Yes. No, we didn't. We didn't. But I thought we would, and I, I really pushed that we would, and we didn't. But I think now, uh, in in Better Call Saul news, they have confirmed, of course, that Better Call Saul currently in season five will be returning for a sixth season. But the key there is it will be the final season of Better right. Call Saul. And I don't know if they knew that while they were writing and shooting this season of Better Call Saul or not. Uh, but if they did, I got to imagine we're going to get back to Gene uh, very much in a lost sort of way, Josh. And we have to go back sort of way in a way that's going to change the way the show is lensing itself. Uh, I think we could get there before the end of this season. You know, I, I, I think so, too. One of the things that I keep seeing in sort of the Better Call Saul discourse is there there feels like uh, like in like questioning of Peter Gould and and all these uh, you know pieces that are written about it. It feels like the the general consensus is uh, it would be, it would be great to check in more with Gene as if that's not a foregone conclusion. Like for me in my read of Better Call Saul, much like the way and Breaking Bad spoilers. Just to clarify, fully okay here on the podcast. Or are we trying to tread lightly? Listen. 
We we gotta talk about Breaking Bad. We okay? gotta talk about All Breaking right. Bad. I, I, I mean, really the, think we have to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm gonna be able to handle it. But Antonio, ruling right. on the field, tread lightly or, or uh, go full tilt crystal meth. Uh, Johnny D- Johnny De Silvera caught up, so yeah. I, that's My the only son, person I knew who was born on the night of the finale. <laughs> he's caught is, up. Is uh, six years old. <laughs> yeah, he's caught up. He's caught up. He knows what happened. He's going to be caught up on Breaking, Breaking Bad soon. <laughs> what yeah. I was going to say, uh, in the spirit of that, so Breaking Bad spoilers, full tilt for the rest of the season, uh, is that much in the way that season five, the first half of the final season of Breaking Bad began with the machine gun in the trunk. And so now you know kind of like what we're building toward. Like that's like Gene Prime in a way, uh, where that's like the flash forward Walter White in like a circumstance that's uh, like kind of familiar, but also tense and unknown. And you know that that's a future point that we're going to have to get at. That's how I feel about the Gene stuff. So to me, Gene is such a mandatory end game to the show that I think that like, I can imagine the scenario where that's the entirety of season six, where we could be playing that out all across the final season of the show. Or it could be as simple as, you know, a scene at the start of season six and a final episode that takes place completely in Gene land. Um, I think that with the fact that there is a final season on the board, Antonio, I actually don't expect to see Gene again until next season. Uh, I think that they'll stick to tradition for the penultimate season. And next year is the year where I would look to it to uh, to really shake things up. It, it's interesting because some of the Gene scenes have felt like they're like the first one was setting the world and showing you what Gene was up to. The second one really felt like, okay, he's just, this is who he is now. He can't even open a door for fear of setting an alarm off. And then since then, I feel like we've, we sort of told a story. It was, he, he calls out a mugger in season three. He, he rats him out to the cops and then he jumps up and says, don't say a word, get a lawyer, all that. And then that leads him to collapse, which we see in season four. He goes to the hospital and we find out that he's worried when he, his ideas run. And then the cab driver clocks him and he's very nervous about that. And then we find ourselves here in season five where the cab driver definitely did clock him. And we are continuing the story by Gene calling Robert Forster, by the way, unexpected, at least in my world, uh, that we would get a Robert Forster cameo uh, once again in Better Call Saul from Beyond the Grave. But that scene with Gene now, Gene saying at the end of this, I'm going to handle it myself, as you referenced earlier, Rob. What is your take on what happens next with this then? Is it violence or is it some more of a Saul Goodman kind of trick where he talks his way out of something? Uh, that would be interesting. I, uh, you know, I, I hadn't thought about that uh, yet of what what does that mean? I'm going to handle He's it myself. He's got a machine gun baked into a Cinnabon. Yeah, um, he just seems like that uh, that spark that, uh, you know, Jimmy McGill or Saul Goodman's spark. Like, Gene just seems like such a shell of himself. Uh, I would feel like that it would be almost impossible for Gene. Does he still have it, Antonio? It's a good question. What he does have is a, a, a is a Band-Aid case load of diamonds. Uh, and so I wonder I wonder about and we've no idea where that comes from. Right. That's that's not that's nothing that comes to mind from from Breaking Bad unless like that's like his Walter White severance that he put into diamonds. No, yeah, it's just some purloined loot that he kept in that Band-Aid case uh, that we'd seen throughout yeah. uh, in a reference to the movie Marathon Man, which uh, there were some diamonds in a Band-Aid case. But I mean, Rob, do you think at, at the so he admits in this in this moment, we remember in season one of Better Call Saul, what he does at night, what Gene does at night is he gets his Saul Goodman tapes out and he watches them uh, on TV and like VHS copy, just remembering his glory days. And here, if you follow the through line, uh, he says, get a lawyer. He actually 
screams. He says loudly to the shoplifter. That's when he collapses. Now he's got this guy who makes him admit that he saw Goodman and who is praising him as Saul Goodman. Do you think that's enough to maybe wake up that spark in Gene? I don't know. I, I still don't see it based on the phone call that he's having with Robert Forrester. And, you know, I, I don't know necessarily, you know, uh, what kind of caper he would pull, uh, like on the, uh, on the cab driver to convince him to like the cab driver to leave town or the cab driver is seeing things. Like, uh, what could he do at this point where the guy has sort of identified him? Well, and it, it brings it to question, and I'm wondering, uh, Josh, your take on this. Do you think the cab driver has nefarious uh, purposes in highlighting that he right. knows Gene is Saul Goodman? Uh, he says, like, he says, like, this guy just wanted to come along, uh, and they were, were they looking through the mall for Gene? Like, how did he know he was at the mall? He didn't drop him off at the mall. Um, it, it just, with the casting. Is the town just so small that, like, he, he, he <laughs> happened upon him, right? It's, it's, yeah. And how long has he been there if he hadn't happened upon him before? And what does he know? Um, do you think he's got nefarious? purposes in mind when he's identifying him and, and coming up to him and saying like you know who you are and i know who you are yeah uh don harvey as jeff uh really great to see uh don breaking out from his podcasting work with colin to, <laughs> to join the cast of better call Saul. i think he he's does a really, great american accent he's yeah. doing he's doing really really great uh no great actor who's been in a bunch of stuff uh he was i really enjoyed him in the deuce uh, on the deuce i don't think i should say in the deuce for whatever reason that just sounds worse <laughs> mm-hmm. um i the way that he plays him with sort of like this hyena quality right like the like the high-pitched lad he's like a Sammy Hagar you know just like everything everything about him strikes me as sort of like a loosey goosey aloof kind of like maybe not even necessarily like a professional career low life but like somebody from that like lower tier rogues gallery world of the breaking bad universe like uh like the the candy man or whatever his name was from el camino the guy who like they build up as the big bad of that movie mm-hmm. like it feels like that's sort of like the 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 spot that he's filling in here but if he's like connected to you know a residual of like the Gus Spring days or whatever is going to be building out with Lalo and the Salamancas. Uh, and this is something that's like tethering back to that. I feel like that's probably like too elaborate for, um, for the ethos of better call Saul, even though they often do like go out of their way to like kind of MCU this stuff. Everything's connected. Uh, but I also feel like it's got that sort of Elmore Leonard spirit that justified had right. Antonio, where like uh, the, the guy is mistaken for bringing a gun to a car fight. Like there's an unexpected way to, to disentangle yourself from the conflict. And I think to have this guy just be like some sort of traditional bad guy who is hooked into the greater story of better call Saul, rather than presenting an obstacle that for Jimmy, what I really think he's probably going to do is set Jimmy up to do something that just blows himself up. Um, like he's going to like Jimmy's going to blow up his own world in pursuit of shutting this guy down uh, when he probably could just let this go to some extent um, or deal with it in like a smaller way than he's going to. I think like the great story of, of Better Call Saul especially uh, having just rewatched the whole thing. I know you did as well, Antonio, in the lead up to this. And like the big takeaway for me was like, if Breaking Bad is a freight train off the rails, this is a slow motion car wreck. Emphasis on slow. Like it's it's very methodical. It's very yeah. deliberately paced. But you know, based on what you know from Breaking Bad, that this is going to have at least a combustible end point, like nearish end point for, for Jimmy. And often of his own making, like it certainly seems like. So I think 
that's what I'm looking for with the Gene story more is like, how is how is Jimmy McGill going to end up like cutting his nose off to spite his face? And I think that this is going to be a big piece of that. Well, and we see a lot of Jimmy cutting his nose off to spite his face with his relationship with Kim. Um, that is a common through line that's happening there. I'm wondering, Rob, we've talked a lot on the podcast over the, over the seasons about um, since Jimmy is in Omaha and Nebraska and Kim is generally from like the Kansas, Nebraska area. Um, is it possible we don't know where she was in the Breaking Bad story? Uh, and is it possible that maybe she comes back into the Gene story? Is there any world, do you think, where what Jimmy is doing with regard to uh, this guy, the, the cab driver, Jeff, uh, is to maybe call Kim in uh, and say, basically, like, I blew it all those years ago. Uh, I know you've no uh, love for Saul Goodman. I'm not that guy anymore. I need your help. Let's run one caper together and let's get rid of this guy. Um, Maybe not in a violent way, but in some kind of set him up kind of way. Do you think, Rob, there's a possibility that Kim comes into the Jimmy storyline or has that changed uh, the way you're thinking with what we've seen so far in season five? Yeah, I really don't think that there's a chance that we have some sort of a redemption arc for, you know, uh, Saul Goodman or, or Jimmy McGill, especially one that ends up in involving uh, Kim coming back into the story. You know, I think that there is, you know, certainly a chance that she's not even alive in this timeline. But I, I think that what ends up happening, but just because of the way that we see Saul Goodman in uh, the you know Breaking Bad timeline, I don't think that he seems like that he's you know suffered like a terrible loss. I, I feel like that she leaves him and, and then ends up going her own separate ways. And I, and I can't imagine that there's anything in this timeline that happens where she's like going to second guess that decision and be willing to help him out with anything. The thing that for me, and I, I hear what you're saying, the thing for me that has always been suspicious about all this is why does he go from uh, Albuquerque or Santa Fe area? Why does he go from New Mexico to Omaha? He could go literally anywhere. He could go to Alaska, for example. Um, he could go to the East Coast. He no, could go back. Jesse Pinkman's already there. <laughs> yes. Well, he could go to any of these places. Is my point. I don't know why you you set Gene in Omaha unless is that how it, is that how it works with uh, with Ed? Like you get to you get to pick where you want to go. Through the vacuum guy, through the disappearer. I I I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I guess if you want the heat off of you, um, didn't Walter White go to New Hampshire? Like, yeah, I, I think I, he so, just kind of like places you. But yeah. I think what you mean is like narratively, why why put Gene in Omaha? Uh, and there's there is there is like material on the board uh, to like geographically potentially position him very closely to Kim Wexler in the Gene timeline. Well, more more to the point, uh, Kim Wexler didn't exist when Gene went to Omaha. What they did uh, is. They backdated uh, maybe some of this connective tissue, and they made Kim uh, somebody who was from where she was from, uh, which is close to Omaha. So right. they could have made Kim from anywhere. Uh, Kim could have been from Nevada. She could have been from Idaho. She could have been from Washington State. But they chose to make her from the same general area uh, where Jean had uh, had chosen to or had been relocated to. And I just wonder, I, I've always wondered if that was by accident or on purpose. So I don't know. Nothing I saw here in season five with the Jean scene made me feel like he was any more likely to contact Kim here. But what we've seen throughout and uh, watching on a rewatch, uh, you see them running these capers together and how it meant a lot to both of them, not just uh, something that meant something to Jimmy uh, that he really enjoyed, but that Kim has gotten something out of it too. Um, sometimes the, the most passion I've ever seen between the two of them uh, comes from after they've run these capers. So I, I just wonder if maybe that's the direction we're headed in. And I, I guess watching El Camino, and I won't spoil it, but watching El Camino may 
made me feel like they are concerned about uh, how these stories end. Uh, and maybe they know that they don't have to end them, uh, in just a, a purely negative way. Like maybe they know that there's a way that they can, they can pull this off. Uh, and maybe that's what they're looking at. And I, as I'm watching Better Call Saul, I'm wondering like where the Jimmy and Kim story will end up. I understand the suggestion that she might not live, uh, to the Breaking Bad timeline. That is so dark. Uh, but it could easily happen. Uh, I prefer to think that maybe she lives and leaves New Mexico. Uh, and if she goes back to where she's from or generally where she's from, um, maybe she's going to come in contact with Gene again. And I think we could get there, um, vis-a-vis Jeff, this guy, but I, I don't know. That's just, that's just my thought. I literally don't know. like he'll, he'll taxi Jimmy to, to wherever Kim is. And that's just, the way the series will yeah. end. <laughs> He's five minutes away from anywhere you are. That going to be a very unhappy ending for Kim Wexler. I mean, sure. It sounds romantic when we're talking about this, but you know, if she did leave this situation some 10 years ago, you would have to think that somebody like Kim has, uh, you know, uh, you know, restarted her life somewhere, probably, you know, has a good job, maybe a family, uh, might be already in some other romantic relationship. You think she's sitting around waiting for Gene to walk in the door? <laughs> that would be pretty disappointing. Very yeah. disappointing. I but- brought Cinnabon. <laughs> I think part of the problem with the Kim story is where, where she's headed. I mean, Josh, you talked about this being a slow car crash in, and I agree with that, but I would also look at it. I see it as circling the drain, um, that Jimmy has been circling the drain for a while and that he's pulled Kim into that undertow with him, uh, and that they're basically being pulled down in, uh, together. And that's the problem for her is that the more time she spends with this guy, and we see it in the first episode, right? She spends basically a day with Saul Goodman and she's in the stairway, uh, crying because of what happened with her client. So it is not a good thing uh, for the two of them to be together. And the more he becomes Saul, the worse it's going to get. I I just don't think the ending is going to be good for Kim as it is. And I think there's a way to do that bittersweet. Like, let's say she does reestablish herself in Nebraska and they run one final caper together and leave as friends. Um, That doesn't have to be romantic. Uh, It can be more bittersweet. So I don't know. I'm I'm not I haven't mooted it out. I'm just curious if if you guys think that we could at all get there. And it doesn't sound like you think as much as I might think it. I, I think what we could get to is like this idea of like Jimmy as Gene screws up, slips up, blows his cover in whatever sort of vengeance game he's or, or you know, like whatever sort of I'll handle it um, mission he's about to embark on against Jeff. He gets out and he's finally arrested. Uh, lots of national attention on the fact that Saul Goodman's cover has been blown and that could shake Kim out of whatever situation she's in to like step up and defend Jimmy uh, or do something like that, like work work professionally on the defense of, of Jimmy McGill. Uh, because every time Jimmy does something awful, uh, like St. Kim is is always there to not if, if quite absolve him, but at least to still be there for him. Uh, and I think that there there might be some interesting story material to put with there uh should we get that far down the line where jimmy is like uh you know he has to like really like actually like face the music and this time there's no like you know sob story that he can pitch uh to the to the to the court to get them to you know he's gonna he's gonna get his his license back like this time like he actually has to mean it uh and as per working like very by the book with kim i think that that could be a pretty satisfying ending and it feels much more in line with the jimmy side of the story in the context of better call Saul. if you expand it to breaking bad yeah he's really associated with a lot of like the action adventure type of stuff with the with the heisenberg of it all and he brushes up against that here and uh, you know here and there on on Better Call Saul 
including potentially based on this cliffhanger. We don't know where he's about to go, uh, stepping into the car with Nacho. Um, but I, I think it would be more true to the character if it's some combination of uh, the, the, the hijinks you're describing, Antonio, but I think also um, Jimmy and Kim having to untangle this situation by the book, like actually having to face the legal music. Do you, uh, is the opposite of hijinks low jinx, by the way? Yeah, I don't know why. I just, uh, you wear them I, real low. <laughs> I was, uh, I was looking, um, I was listening, but I was looking at where Kim was from specifically. Uh, and it says a small town near the Kansas Nebraska border on the Breaking Bad wiki. It also says that her residence, it just listed as Kim's apartment. So I'm glad, I'm glad hmm. that, um, that specifically listed Kim's apartment. Uh, and I, I just, speaking of Kim's apartment, um, we spend some, some time there this episode. I want to keep talking about the Jimmy and Kim stuff. Um, obviously she's not comfortable. Should we give a very quick salute? to the late great Robert Forrester dropping in as the disappearer here at the start of Better Call Saul. It was really fun to see him in this role one last time. That was really unexpected. He had two surprise cameos in the Breaking Bad universe here uh, that between El Camino and that El Camino spoiler. uh, And then also uh, (laughs) he had a big role in El Camino. And then uh, here he is here. This was something, yeah, it was sandwiched in, like they, they yeah. were shooting El Camino, uh, and they basically called uh, from the El Camino set to Peter Gould and the Better Call Saul team, and they said, hey, do you want Robert Forster for your, they had already written the scene where Jimmy calls the vacuum cleaner salesman, the disappearer, if you will, and they said, do you want him on the other end of that? Like, Because we can do that right here while we're shooting this, and they shot this at the exact same time, uh, which Great. is how, even though it seems like Better Call Saul would have been shot after uh, he uh, passed away. Unfortunately, it was not. It was it was basically shot. This particular scene was shot out of continuity from the Better Call Saul production schedule, and it was shot on the El- with the El Camino team, and that's how they did it. They they really switched everything up. They switched the way it looked. They yeah. switched uh, from from film to TV. They did all that, uh, and they they got Robert Forster to shoot the Better Call Saul scene here. What a happy family! Uh, I, uh, to be a fly on the wall of the people who bring the Breaking Bad universe to life, just like this crew seems yeah. to have. A lot of love for one another to be well, we a have, fly in the super lab you mean yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> we have uh we've talked about it a lot on this podcast but there is of course an official uh a better call saul podcast where that crew goes into intricate detail on all the details of their shooting from the types of cameras they use uh to the the names of the people that were involved in the costume department uh, and the choices that were made there it is a very uh, inside baseball kind of behind the scenes look at i mean I it is basically inside like inside baseball if it's in the minors <laughs> Hey, listen, Mike, you're, you're done, kid. You're done. Um, we, uh, we'll get back to that for sure. But yeah, it is, uh, if you're into that, I mean, people have said that that podcast is like attending film school because they really go into great detail on all of this. And that's where I learned the detail about how, uh, they reached out to Robert Forster and how that was all arranged with the, the El Camino crew. So, uh, it is, it was a, it was a real surprise to me when I saw it here. I, I, I'm assuming others were surprised by this as well. Uh, glad to have that here. Unfortunate that we won't see him again. Um, that, that Gene does not have the ability to figure this out. We don't know ultimately how we will never find out. We will find out, for example, how crazy eight got his name, but (laughs) we will not find out uh, how Saul found out about this business and who he knew about it from. I mean, obviously people like Mike didn't know about it. It doesn't seem like, cause Mike would have used it along the way. Uh, so it is, uh, it is something that Jimmy knew about, um, that others uh, in Jimmy's world were able to use. Uh, but we don't, we'll never find out, uh, how that, how that germinated or where this 
business came from. I think this is the last we'll see about it. Um, but it is, uh, it, it is definitely, it was nice to see here. Uh, and honestly, I think we, we needed some nice to see things because as I was saying, this stuff with Jimmy and Kim, uh, is just so rough. I mean, and it's not even Jimmy anymore. It is Saul. Uh, and the Saul of it all is just hanging over every one of their conversations. I want to know from you guys, I, Kim, in the, in their conversation where she has given Jimmy, uh, the briefcase with the JMM on it and Jimmy McGill says, that name is burned. I don't want to be Charles McGill's like loser brother anymore. Uh, I want to be Saul now. That's who I am. Uh, Kim is basically saying like, I don't see it. And I'm, you know, she's troubled by it. And I'm wondering uh, for either of you, uh, why do you think Kim is troubled by this? Kim has left a lot of her career behind so she can do criminal defense work. Um, why is she so caught up in the fact that Jimmy wants to do criminal defense work as Saul Goodman? Is it just that his way of approach is wrong? Yeah. Or it's the work itself? Well, I think it, it really stood out to me on the rewatch how much Kim admired Chuck and, like as a lawyer and as as somebody who worked in service of the law uh, and how how much that her role in Chuck's downfall must have really, really weighed on her from that level, both the human level of like, I destroyed a man, uh, like I contributed to the destruction of a human being, uh, but also to the destruction of somebody who was, you know, a, a, a legend in, in my field. Um, and I think through her Chuck worship, you know, she, she often, uh, you know, she's always defending Jimmy. She's, she's always there to support Jimmy, but I, I got to imagine that part of the thing that's really tough for Kim and why she has had a hard time articulating it so far on the show is that like, she doesn't want to like say out loud that Jimmy is like necessarily as bad as Chuck made him out to be, that he is as necessarily like unfit for the law as Chuck made him out to be. But then like, we just got off of a full year of Jimmy, like kind of like slinging cell phones on the streets. Like that was how he bided his time to get back. And like, lied about it until very, very late in the game, like just did not mention it at all. Uh, also, she was so deeply moved by what she thought was a very authentic speech from Jimmy about Chuck, only for them to leave the room. And not three seconds later, Jimmy's already like hooting and hollering about, did you see the looks on their stupid faces? He didn't see the look on Kim's, so he didn't know how personally she took it. So I think Kim is very rightly deeply disturbed by the idea that Jimmy is kind of like in this manic phase of, you know, he's got his degree back, uh, like he's got his badge and his gun back and it's like he didn't learn anything like he might just be more dangerous than ever before i think her instincts are pretty good in that regard not to mention the idea of sort of the uh legal defense like volume business where that you know he has this approach of that he wants to sort of like uh you know represent as many people as possible and do sales which uh antonio i I don't know if that is the type of practice that gets talked about in law school no it's certainly i mean it is not and it's definitely not the hhm style that kim was brought up in and it's certainly not the schweikert and coakley style this churn and burn volume-based business we hear from the ADA later in the episode, right? That she has no respect for it yeah. either. She's basically saying, you just want to settle these cases so you can get more cases. Uh, and that's definitely what he's up to. And I think, I think Kim is maybe looking down a little bit on that. I think that's a good, uh, good point, Rob. Uh, I just, it's interesting because she says, what she says in that first scene is she says, how do you think this reflects on you? You work so hard to get your license back. And I feel like she's saying, 
you work so hard to get your license back and you're just going to represent criminals. You're just going to do criminal defense. And that struck me as a little discordant considering all the work that Kim is doing in that same realm um, with some of the same people. Uh, but you're right. She's doing it in a different way. She's treating every one of these people as like an important thing in, in their lives and in her life. And Jimmy is basically just saying, done, deal, done, deal, done, move on, done. You know, he's he is churning and burning through these people. So there is definitely a clear line there. The thing that is interesting to me is when Kim says, I don't know, I just can't see it. And Jimmy says, it's okay, you will. Um, she's lying to herself in that moment. I don't think it's that she can't see it. I think it's that she doesn't want to see it. She doesn't want to really admit to herself, maybe that Chuck was right about Jimmy. Uh, and that's a thing where one of the things, Rob, that I uh, observed, uh, I think, on the podcast last year, and as we go through on a through line on a rewatch, really jumped out to me is we are really only maybe a week removed or a couple of weeks removed from a huge blow up fight that uh, Kim and Jimmy have after the board initially denies Jimmy uh, his ability to get his, to get his license back. Um, he meets Kim on the rooftop uh, and they're talking about it. And Kim drops this bomb on him. She says, you're always down. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that, that it's just really hard to walk back. Like they are not necessarily on the best of terms as it is. And then you go to what Josh, you're saying all the moments where he really emotionally put her in a place and it was all manipulation when he was actually getting his license back and he's pivoting right into this manic face of Saul Goodman. They are really roller on a roller coaster. They're yo-yoing in their relationship. Yo-yo up or yo-yo down? I think it's a yo-yo down. yo-yoing down, yeah. Yeah, not good. Not good. Not good. And like I said, I think it's also circling the drain, really, more than that. I think it's like, you know, sometimes you're, you're, they're slowly getting closer to this point that's going to suck the life out of the both of them. Uh, and I, I just think that as they're headed there, you can see it. There was a phenomenal sequence, uh, last season. Um, this is a show that really certainly indulges itself, uh, in the, uh, the montages, but the one, uh, with, uh, with something stupid, uh, the song that was playing in the background, mm-hmm. uh, where we had the split screen, where they were in bed together, brushing their teeth. Probably uh, the best. We, of the series, I would say. It, I think so too. Yeah. And just slowly drifting apart uh, the storytelling that went on in that one. Again, that's only like three or four episodes ago. Uh, and that is the tale of their relationship and, and the path it's been on uh, for the last several months of their time. So to see them in this moment, uh, it, it is not good. And yet, um, continuing on those lines, um, we we have this, this huge blow up uh, between the two of them over one of Kim's clients, uh, Bobby uh, Gold. What was it? What, what, what was... Uh, Saul's uh sort what was his like nom de, what was the name that he gave Bobby it was like he was like the fridge guy right yeah, like it was the, like the, the mini fridge mini fridge yeah, yeah not gold fridge or something but something like that yeah he uh <laughs> He, he, he gave him like a villain name. Uh, but yeah, we had this, this huge blow up over one of her clients where Jimmy wants to create this, uh, illusion that he's from the DA's office and that the offer is getting pulled so that the guy will do what Kim thinks is in his best interest, which is take this offer. Uh, and Kim sort of has to begrudgingly go along with it. And she feels so dirty for it. That's how we end the first episode. And yet we begin the second episode with them, uh, having domestic, uh, you know, life together and then going to to look at a house and it seems like when they look at the house they're on better terms uh, josh where what is your read on where they are at the end of all of this with those two scenes in mind especially 
I as as a married person, uh, very relatable stuff. I think. <laughs> and I say this with a lot of love for my spouse, but we have our issues, and we've got we've got stuff that like annoys the crap out of each other, or the crab out of each other. Even uh, there's just there, there, there's stuff that sticks in our craw, and we'll get into like these these moments where like it could very easily be a blow up fight, or like very clearly someone did something uncool, uh, and the uncool thing must be addressed. And it's not always addressed in like a really hot way. Uh, sometimes it's addressed like the next day we're doing like a very mundane thing and we just kind of talk it through. Uh, and I think that you see a lot of that in the, the Jimmy and Kim relationship. Like so many times, like it's, it's shocking that Kim has not just like bitten Jimmy's head off. Uh, like the closest that she came was when she really laid into him in that scene that you were talking about before, uh, when Jimmy's initially denied getting his, his, uh, his license back. Uh, and they have their first really big blowout fight on the, the rooftop of the parking garage. But otherwise, like they have their moments moments where they really disagree sometimes like kim just sort of swallows her pride and like moves on with the issue and it's not always the healthiest way of untangling a problem uh and i i think like it's relatable like sometimes these things just end up festering uh and uh right now it's certainly festering like i think like something can fester uh and still look whimsical and like that's what you get in the scene where uh kim like puts the shower on jimmy when they're like going around mm-hmm. and touring through through that through the house like it, it looks very playful on the outside but like something that needs to really be actually addressed is brimming underneath. I think it's, I think it's pretty real. It feels it felt very real to me. <laughs> Rob, you're a married man. You want uh, care to talk yourself into a trap here? Uh, well, you know, uh, my wife is an avid listener disagree of, with of this podcast. Honest. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I feel like that, you know, whatever I say, she'll uh, be bound to hear about. Um, yeah, you know, it's hard with the passage of time, you know, I'll get into, you know, uh, big, uh, big fights or, you know, just like, uh, quick fights, uh, with my spouse. But then, uh, you know, I think that we're, uh, you know, pretty quick to move on from those, uh, you know, so, uh, I could see that you're being like a lot of ups and downs captured in this relationship that we've gotten to see over, you know, several years. But it does seem like that the overall trajectory of the relationship is, uh, trending down where we might see like higher highs but you know overall the trend is going in the wrong direction well and kim had encouraged jimmy to see somebody uh to seek therapy after everything that happened with chuck jimmy was maybe not so open to it but he was especially closed off to it when he saw uh, what Howard Hamlin was dealing with in his own way. Uh, but we did get a little bit of Howard in this episode, and Howard seems to be on the up and up. HHM is back rolling again, and they seem to be uh, in good graces. He wants to have lunch with Jimmy. I can't wait to see what that's going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, but But it seemed like the therapy worked for Howard, and it just seems like Jimmy is still dealing with a lot of unprocessed issues in his life. Um, Josh, when you're talking about what's happening under the surface right. and not being dealt with, um, it, it isn't just right everything that's happened with Jimmy and Kim and everything we've seen on the show. It's everything we know about how Jimmy has felt his whole life. It's the sort of thing that he was articulating inauthentically at the at that hearing at the end of last season that really moved and touched Kim because she thought he was articulating it authentically. Right. And she thought it was this moment where he was having this moment of actualization and realization about all these things that were happening in his life. And maybe he would be able to take the next step. And instead, the next step was him pulling the rug out from under her feet immediately. And you can see why that would land the way it landed. 
tested. So it isn't just that unprocessed stuff between the two of them. Jimmy McGill himself has a lot of unprocessed stuff. So even as he's able to admit, I don't want to be Jimmy McGill. The name is burned. I'll just be Chuck McGill's loser brother. Uh, he is clearly, I think, acting out as Saul Goodman in a way that says, I'm going to be the best at what I can be. I'm also remembering that scene, Josh, in your rewatch. You probably, it probably jumped out to you as well. Uh, when Jimmy is awarding the scholarship, he's part of the scholarship committee, um, right. in Howard Ham, in, in Chuck's name with Howard at Hamlin, Hamlin McGill. And the, they don't give it to the, the young girl who is a, uh, they say is a shoplifter. And he goes outside to confront her after and what he and gives, gives her like her, the pump up speech, right? Yes. But it is so negative. It is every ounce of negativity that he's got inside him about yep. the way the world sees him. And I think it speaks to his true character there. That's the sort of thing that he is still dealing with. And I think that's why he felt like a god when he was Saul Goodman and why when he's Gene and he's so denuded of all of that, that he's just watching himself and his own tapes. The only color in his world uh, is the fire uh, that's burning and reflecting as he's watching his videotapes there. Uh, so uh, it, he's dealing with so much that it just can't help but like just get all over the relationship he has with Kim. It just doesn't seem like it's going to end in a good place, obviously. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, for the magic man. At least yeah. he's going to look good, right? Like he's going to look sharp uh, as he as he goes down. Yeah. Nice to have those suits on board. But I think you're uh, speaking to something that I hadn't really ever thought about with uh, the way that the gene uh, stuff plays out. And, you know, I know stylistically the choice that the, the gene stuff is all, you know, desaturated and black and white. Uh, and, you know, uh, by uh, the time that we get to see Jimmy McGill here and Saul, like he's super colorful, always loud suits, loud colors. Uh, do you think that by the end of the series, by the end of the Gene run, that we end up seeing Gene, however the resolution comes, that is in color? Oh, like a Wizard of Oz type moment. Um, that would be great. Uh, I don't know. Josh, do you think that's something that they can pull off a transition yeah, like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the, you know, when we when we talk about like color theory in television, that's like that conversation is so closely tied with Breaking Bad, uh, and I I think that just the aesthetics of this universe really lend themselves to to some kind of really elegant sequence like that, uh, where you could see the color like restoring to life as Gene like puffs back up into into Saul Goodman mode. Um, I could absolutely see something like that, uh, and then I could see the color leaving. You know, once he is resigned to the fact that he, whatever, uh, you know, is on the other side of Saul Goodman now, that's where he's going to have to stay, probably. Like, I think the thing that I take away from uh, El Camino uh, and not to like completely spoil the ending, but broad broad strokes wise is that you know the argument around el camino is like did this need to happen like did we really learn anything from this movie uh that breaking bad the show didn't give us as far as jesse pinkman's concerned because like the landing points are very similar um and i i kind of expect that that's going to ultimately be a similar deal for the jimmy mcgill story even though he's a much more fleshed out character in the context of, the, of this show i think that the landing point for that character in breaking bad was like really tragically defeatedly having to take his deflated ball and go not back to home. Like, you know, have to like move houses uh, and like really not of his own volition. He gets to live, but he doesn't get to continue being the magic man. Uh, and I think ultimately that's got to be the fate of Jimmy in some way, shape or form. And I think that you can imagine that playing out with some color restoration, maybe even some, uh, you know, a second disappearance of color in the gene sequences. 
Well, and I always thought what we might get if we were going to bring Kim back into that is we we get a black and white sequence where we don't really know uh, the, you know, we know we from the black and white keys, we know it's in the gene timeline, uh, but then we eventually see Kim in that scene and we realize, okay, Kim is in the gene timeline. And I think that that's the sort of thing where you could bridge those two worlds. We have talked about color theory some on this podcast. We have most closely associated that with Kim, who is consistently surrounded by the color blue, always wearing the color blue, often seen uh, in the background. Even in the house today, there's the color blue behind Kim a lot uh, in some of these scenes where they're touring that house. She's wearing blue at that time. That is her color. Uh, and so that is something that's been consistently present with her throughout. And she is also often associated with the Kansas City Royals. She's seen wearing a blue Royals shirt. Um, we see Gene in the Omaha timeline in one of the previous episodes, his lunchbox is a Kansas City Royals lunchbox. Uh, so there is that connective tissue there, but again, no color. So Kim being a character that we've uh, consistently associated with color, besides Saul, who obviously, Rob, as you're observing, has those really bright, loud colors, uh, I think there are ways to bring that back into the gene world. And so I do think we could see that. And I think, I don't know that it makes it more or less likely we'd see Kim in that world, um, but Kim is a character that we've associated with color as well, more specifically on Better Call Saul. So I would be interested to see... Um, where that goes. What else about the Jimmy and Kim storyline should we hit that we haven't hit? Josh, is there anything that you wanted to hit? Well, it's just, it's just kind of, it's kind of wild after, I mean, listen, Jimmy McGill at his core has always been, you know, there's been shades of slipping Jimmy. Like we didn't know that that's what we could call it during the better calls uh, during the breaking bad days rather. Um, but like that has been a hallmark of the character, but to see those tendencies, uh, in in like that isolated way across Better Call Saul with occasional pops of the Saul Goodman uh, flourish to now have that as he's like literally officially Saul Goodman. We're seeing like those first strokes of him as Saul Goodman here with the 50% off deal, uh, the montage of everybody coming to his tent with Huel standing bodyguard. Like this feels kind of classic. Uh, you know, this feels like this feels almost kind of nostalgic in a perverse way uh, to like the old Breaking Bad days. And I'm, I'm loving it. I, I, I think that like it's painful to watch because like you've become really invested certainly in like Kim's happiness and her her well-being which is very closely tied to Jimmy and the further he falls the more dangerous it becomes for her but like the fall is still kind of a delight to watch like just seeing him wheeling and dealing and doing the elevator scam with Suzanne was was hysterical uh it was like it was very devious but it was it was really really good um and then I I think like if if we want to use it as a launch pad into talking about some other storylines in this episode I I was uh I was kind of caught off guard and not necessarily in a great way with the ending of the second hour where he's getting, uh, you know, taken away by Nacho. And now his story is really going to collide with Lalo and Nacho. And, and I know that that kind of has to happen to a certain extent. Um, but his storyline just on its own right now is so intriguing that they're really going to have to deliver if they're going to really start trying to fold all of these things back into each other. The they are folding some of it. I mean, it's Jimmy's karma, right? We have Kim telling Jimmy, "Don't take, don't do this fifty percent off thing," and and Jimmy goes through and he does it. Uh, 
by the way, I'm not sure why he didn't just buy more cell phones to give away, but uh, he, he runs out of cell phones to give away. He says 50% off. I'm not sure how he's going to even track who he said it to. Uh, that could get out on the street. This guy said 50% off. He didn't say it to anyone in specific. He just said it to a crowd of us that were standing there. Uh, but anyway, he says this 50% off and it causes these guys to go on this spree, which ultimately boomerangs back to the point where Jimmy himself is now in the crosshairs of the Nacho Vargas storyline. And that connective tissue is there. This is something Kim warned him about. Don't do this. Don't don't bring yourself down to this level. We see where this level is. It is in the gutter. Uh, it is literally ice cream cone melting in the gutter. Uh, it is that street level that Jimmy is on. Um, so these things are connective. Uh, Jimmy's not wanting to sink down. Kim warning him against this. It Look where he ends up. And yes, Jimmy knows Nacho. This is something that's been part of the show from the beginning because as Slippin' Jimmy, uh, he was involved with the Kettleman's and he got himself involved with Nacho Varga via Tuco trying to run a scam with the twins in the very first episode of the series. So yeah, this has been something that's been present as him throughout. And yet we see now he could have taken the high road and maybe he wouldn't have ended up where he ends up by the end of the second episode. And presumably this is not going to go well for him throughout. And yet we know he will survive. We just don't know what toll it will take on those around him. And that's where I start to worry about Kim is tying those stories together. Uh, Kim is not connected to that world, but it doesn't seem like it's going to take very long if a Jimmy is rolling around in that world because we see, for example, that Gus Fring knows to threaten people that you love, the people that are close to you, and what impact that has right. on your when, loved when ones. He's, yeah, when he's like targeting Nacho's dad. Right. It's, mm-hmm. been a, it's been a long time since he's had... Uh, it's been about a year or so since he's really had Nacho do anything uh, as a, you know, a Salamanca loyalist, secretly a Gus Fring plant in the Salamanca industry. Uh, but... It was that was a that was a really messed up scene because if anything ever happens to Nacho's father, I'm going to quit the show. That's uh, it. That's your line. Yeah, that'll be <laughs> no it. I Papa. Think that, I think that that's my line. If anything happens to Papa, uh, I think I'm really gonna I'm gonna riot. Uh, <laughs> this this was a hallmark of the rewatch that Antonio, you and I bonded on. It's like Nacho's great. Nacho is really Michael Mando is amazing. Uh, not Michael Ignacio. Mandalorian. <laughs> you would be a great Mandalorian. He would uh, go after Gus Fring. Ignacio Varga, you are a badass. I mean, like he was amazing in this episode. Both of them. Yeah, I it, I I really do love Nacho. Uh, and you're right, Josh. We did talk about that, and it is something where I I am worried about Papa. I am worried about Nacho, but I also see a through line where it's possible that it is not Kim who comes into the uh, Gene story, but instead Nacho Varga. When I was rewatching it, it jumped out to me that Nacho's got the passports and the IDs ready already. Um, he is ready to go to Canada with Papa if he can get out. Uh, and so it it's it stands to reason it's possible. Uh, that Nacho makes it out alive and makes it to Canada on his own and disappears himself from this life. Rob, what do you think the odds are uh, that we're not going to end up where Josh is worried we're going to end up with Papa? Do you think Nacho makes us makes it out of this season, uh, not further tainted by what's going on, or is he in too deep? I mean, we are very in very deep with Nacho at, at this point, and I kind of feel like that uh, we don't give Nacho a papa if we're not going to ultimately take away take a papa, papa <laughs> off the board. <laughs> oh, uh, he did no. like a papa has not had his own storyline at any point I know. Uh, I know. in the series, so I'm, I, I am worried about him. Uh, I guess that for you two who have done the rewatch, I mean, what does uh, the you know uh, Nacho crew? 
through what do they want with uh, Saul Goodman? I have no idea. Off I mean, the top is it as simple head. as they want him to represent Crazy Eight? Yeah, I yeah. can see that. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then you get uh, you get Jimmy McGill and Crazy Eight in a scene together uh, as the Breaking Bad universe is, is folding in on itself further and further. That could be fun. So the connective tissue for me is that we have Lalo throughout this ep- these course of episodes. He's obsessed with Gus Fring. He's obsessed with Werner Ziegler. Werner Ziegler. He says it yeah. over and over again. Um, Josh Michael. Wiegler. <laughs> Josh Wiegler. Michael. Uh, yeah, he's a gringo who's in the game. Like, who are these people? He's obsessed. He goes to talk to Uncle Hector, uh, T.O. Hector, and he says, you know, Gus Fring, he's, they don't care about him. He talks to Juan Bolsa from, uh, from Don Eladio's uh, crime family and it comes down basically that look Gus Fring makes money we don't care about anything else no he's never going to be one of us uh meaning he's from Chile he's from a different uh part of the world uh we hear we've often heard by the way referenced Gus's backstory in Santiago in Chile whatever Gus did there uh that Lalo references in his conversation with Juan Bosa Dark. We, we got to find out. I think we're going to find that out before the end of this series, exactly what happened in Santiago. Uh, but regardless... It might be good it, to leave that alone as just like a nightmare uh, that surrounds Gus Spring. And like we just never know. And just whatever happened in Santiago is just so ungodly that we can only dream of what it was. We're finding out how Crazy 8 got his nickname. You think they're going to leave that stone <laughs> no, unturned? probably not. I don't think they're leaving anything <laughs> on the ground. Uh, good point. So, so you've got, you got Lalo sniffing around Gus Spring, uh, and And he talks to Hector and Hector says, like it's the money and well he says it by ringing his bell and then when Lalo finds out that Crazy 8 uh, is not very good at uh, gambling uh, and he folds very quickly under pressure I think he realizes he's not going to be able to take the heat so Lalo says to Nacho when Nacho asks do you want me to take care of it meaning do you want me to kill my friend Lalo says no I have something much better in mind and then the next time we see Nacho he's flagging down Saul Goodman Mm. I'm wondering is Lalo going to somehow flip but not on the Salamancas but in some way on Gus Fring. Is he not going to put Gus directly under the microscope because they need Gus, but is he going to put some of Gus's business under the microscope? Maybe his street level guys, someone who's making the money for Gus. Um, is he going to affect, is he, is he going to rat out the wrong people in other words? And is he going to put, put the clamps on some aspect of Gus's business? And is that Lalo's greater plan is that they'll use Jimmy McGill, the lawyer uh, to basically work Lalo into a position where he's giving up only Gus's people makes and sense. hurting Gus's end of the business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Smart. That's, That's the part. A plan. That it's a good plan, but we know how this ends up for uh for Crazy 8, uh for Ocho Loco. Uh we know where this goes for him. We know what he ends up in Breaking Bad. We do know, for example, and I'm, we'll we'll talk about it, he does become an informant for the DEA. He becomes an informant for Hank Schrader, uh who I believe they have talked about uh you know, is somebody that we we could very well see in our in our Better Call Saul universe uh very soon. Yeah, it's been so, announced. Yeah, so we're going to see Hank on this show. It seems like we're we're headed to that point where where Crazy Eight's probably going to inform. Uh, but if he's not, if he's got, a, if Lalo's got a better plan for him, I got to imagine it's going to be against Gus Fring. I'm wondering, uh, <laughs> is this is this is Lalo a good adversary for Gus? I mean, I I think that he's very smart, uh, and he certainly has a one track mind where he won't let things go. Uh, Rob, what do you think about we 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 don't only got a couple of episodes of Lalo last season. Are you really looking? 
forward to seeing what Lalo's going to bring to the table this year. Yeah, I'm not loving Lalo uh, that, uh, you know. You're low uh, on Lalo. <laughs> I'm low on Lalo. Like Lilo. Are you yo-yoing yeah. on Lalo? Yeah, I'm, I, I would say that I'm a down-yo on Lalo. So much <laughs> Lalo. So Lalo. much. I mean, Mike, we barely saw in two hours of this and uh, so much of the Lalo storyline. And, you know, I just feel like that we're going very far down the uh, Salamanca rabbit hole that we're spending so much time with Lalo on the show. Well, there isn't there. There's the whole deal from the the first Better Call Saul episode of Breaking Bad where where Jesse and Walt uh, takes Saul out into the middle of the desert. And does he talk about Lalo and Ignacio? Uh, is, am I getting that right? So like that, yes. so that, so he's going to be hooked in with them. Um, I believe timeline wise, we're in 2004 right now in uh-huh. Better Call Saul and that's 2008. So whatever's going to be going down between Jimmy and these guys is going to endure for, you know, four ish years or so. Uh, presumably. Uh, so you better get on the Lalo train soon. I don't think I this guy's so. going anywhere anytime soon. Well, in, in the reference that you're mentioning, Josh, from Breaking Bad is when Walt and Jesse take Saul into the desert. I believe it's on Better Call Saul Season 2, Episode 7. Uh, not Season 3, Episode 7, Rob. I heard mm-hmm. your ears perk up. Um, season 2, Episode 7, where they take Saul out into the desert and they have uh, a bag on his head. He's, who, who sent you? Was it Ignacio? Was it Lalo? Um, those are the names he references. So presumably those are guys that would still be around and be capable of sending somebody after Saul, at least as far as Saul knows. Uh, maybe he doesn't know that they're off the board if they are in fact off the board at that time uh it just seems like that gus fring wants to make a move on lalo he he tells nacho gain his confidence we see how nacho does that uh, by pulling this crazy move i do wonder just from a legal standpoint what these cops are even going to have on crazy eight they don't find any drugs presumably in that stash house um they didn't find him with his hands it's all circumstantial he's there he's playing with a, a gutter pipe uh, that ultimately drugs come out of but his prints aren't going to be on the drugs. He didn't have any drugs on him, presumably. Presumably didn't have a roll of cash on him or a weapon. So I, I do wonder what charges there will even be for Lalo uh, out of this that aren't circumstantial. Um, and, and I think a good lawyer could could probably beat this case or at least get it to a position where he could get a very, very good deal. I also don't know um, what Crazy Eight's record is like. So I, I don't know. Well, I've seen not just say said he'd never been uh, in never prison been inside, before. right? Yeah, never, never been, been in prison. prison. Yeah. I don't know if he's had charges or if he's had other arrests or anything. But yeah, never been inside, so he does seem pretty soft uh, as we've seen throughout. Uh, it's definitely not the guy that you want uh, on, on not to, to try not to take the fall for you uh, if they squeeze him. So you want Jimmy McGill in that room, but I don't. I don't know where that ends up. But I, yeah. I do think Lalo, unless Gus takes him off the board, is is in this for the long haul. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm unlike you, Rob. I, I like seeing Lalo. I think the actor uh, that is playing he's Lalo, good. I, I don't want to disparage. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, disparage. He's great. He's very, he's great. He's very good. I, I just feel like there's so much. So, there's so much that I feel like he's the second lead on the show right now. Lalo. Well, at least he's like he's there to give Hector the right stuff, right? To take away the berry, berry, and load it up with the real deal. <laughs> the real, the real deal. Yeah. Uh, Josh, uh, were you more impressed with Crazy Eight's ladder or Tony's ladder? <laughs> I think obviously Tony's ladder. Tony didn't get busted with his ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crazy Eight got arrested immediately. Yeah, simple. 
Don't get arrested. Sim- simple. Simple as that. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna put up. We're gonna simply yeah. put up the ladder. We're oh, gonna no. simply fix the drain pipe. We're still gonna simply allow <laughs> the crystal meth to start flowing again, yeah. and we're gonna get simply arrested. Simple as that. I'm not a criminal. I'm here to fix the drain pipe. Yeah. yeah. Simple mistake. You put the police officer on the construction, ladder. Construction worker. I work on pipes. <laughs> I work on drainage. I fix the pipes. They call yeah. me in. Yeah. I'm just here to do this. Simple. Very simple. Yeah. Oh, very simple. Very, yeah. very simple. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. 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 Crazy 8, that's what he needs. Uh, he needs Tony there by his side. He doesn't need Saul Goodman. Oh my gosh! Um, I but I I really in in watch going back and watching the the show and like the moment that Lala comes in he's just there for like a really short burst at the end of season four uh, I was dying laughing when he like burst through the ceiling at the bank uh, and just like <laughs> crawled through like the ceiling and managed to get down the other side like this is of course a guy who's gonna not have like he's not gonna have any time for Nacho during a card game because he's busy playing cards but when he gets to watch. Uh, like Nacho Indiana Jones his way through a meth den uh, and and come out alive. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be very impressed yeah. with this guy eating uh, popcorn so thought, like T Bird. That yeah. was hysterical. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, Lalo Bird. Uh, yeah, he was he was impressed with Nacho. So good move on Nacho's part to ingratiate himself further uh, with uh, with the the Lalo of it all. It it was a very good move by him. Gus Gus's master plan here, uh, I think was was pretty sharp, and it seemed like Lalo sniffed at least some of it out. Gus's plan was to introduce some. He knew, for example, he knew right that Lalo had gotten word about Werner Ziegler. He had talked to him on the phone. He had ba- he had tracked Mike uh, throughout some of Mike's search, uh, and he had probably been to that payday lending spot or the Western Union spot and killed that poor kid uh, with the ceiling move. So. Gus knew that that had to be cleaned up, and Gus's plan to do that was to make it seem as though Werner Ziegler was responsible for this decreased product quality. Uh, He had Nacho swap it out, and that's ultimately uh, what brought Lalo and Gus together and was going to be Gus's cover story uh, for why Werner Ziegler was in trouble, why they were searching him down, why that was a thing that was happening. Lalo did not buy it, obviously, and I think Gus knows Lalo did not buy it. Uh, So they're pretty worthy adversaries, at least now. Uh, And I I really, I personally am enjoying seeing um, that that aspect of the show in that Gus Spring is well-matched. I mean, you're talking about a guy uh, who is so ruthless in what he's done. Um, not so ruthless that he doesn't let the uh, the German guys escape. Uh, we, instead of burying them in the desert, he gives them all cars and has them go off on their merry way via Mike. Um, we could definitely talk about the Mike story. Um, but I, I like seeing Lalo as an adversary to Gus, uh, especially since Hector is sort of off the board. I do wonder, Josh, you said Lalo is there to give Hector the good stuff, and that is true. Why is Lalo not there to give Hector more therapy? Like, why is that not a thing? Why is Hector just bound to this wheelchair? Why aren't they trying to do more? I know Gus sent the doctor away that Gus was paying for. Do the Salamancas as a family not have resources they can bring a doctor in to try to get this guy, Hector, talking again? Well, maybe they just buy the narrative that this is as good as it's going to get. Like that this is this is the Hector Salamanca that there will ever be. You know, this is the only one from here on from here on out. Um, it's a fair question. Just bring a, a top-notch doctor in of your own. Uh, but I think that Gus Spring is better connected here in the States, and getting uh, getting Hector back down to Mexico might be a bit of a to-do. 
uh, it certainly uh, seems more like it's adult for sure. And and that is, I think the the border, the frontera, if you will, is causing quite a problem for Lalo uh, because Juan Bolsa says like, we don't do things the way you're doing them on this side of the border. Like we act a little bit more, uh, you know, respectful or we don't just shoot random people in uh, Western Union places. But uh, Lalo is wild, man. Lalo does what Lalo wants. Uh, and I got to imagine like he, he's just... He is on a collision course uh, with Gus Fring, and that usually does not end well for people that we've seen on this show. It certainly isn't going well for Mike. Uh, and Rob, I know you've been dying to talk about Mike uh, and bring Mike into this story. It seems to me we're getting a season-long or at least few episodes-long version of the great episode from season one, five zero, in which we see the depths of Mike's uh, pure, just uh, like the depths of his grief over what happened with his son and his self, his pure self-loathing over everything that happened there. That's the Mike that we have this season over everything that happened with Werner. What was your favorite Mike moment from the episodes, Rob? <laughs> well, you know, he had the great Probably line. like the one that he had. Yeah. Right? Uh, where he told Gus, you can keep your goddamn money. Yeah, keep, uh, your, re- <laughs> keep your damn retainer. Yeah. Uh, but I <laughs> and think- Gus, I like, felt really called out. He's like, I thought it was, my Invisalign was hard to notice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I felt like in terms of Kaylee, uh, it's, it's Kaylee, right? Not Haley. Kaylee, yeah. Kaylee. Uh, Kaylee, I mean, the eternally 10-year-old the, the girl. The eternally yeah. 10-year-old Kaylee, that at least for the first time that we actually had a scene between uh, Mike and Kaylee that was not like, okay, all right, well, just Kaylee, come you're right the here. best, yeah. Uh, help really me, cool. me that screwdriver over there. Uh, <laughs> and that he actually like had some sort of a different emotional response from her where uh, she was asking about, like, uh, you know, did the bad guys get my dad? And uh, that really provoked uh, Mike to lose it with Kaylee, which we've never seen before. So at least that was, uh, you know, a different side of this uh, relationship he went off he did went, that you know, full uh, measure full measure yeah did that josh strike you as authentic did you think that that was an authentic reaction from mike and that was something that that, that he would have done and including right. not apologizing to kaylee i think a, a a touch point for for mike which we which we saw in that episode that you you referenced back in season one is like the great shame that he carries is he debased his son right like he made him lesser uh he was a good he was a good man and he made him take the money and they killed him for it and it was for nothing um so that shame i don't think that's really gone away uh and so i think when when the question of like did the bad guys kill my dad uh, for Mike, like he always like felt like he was kind of one of the bad guys too, and it's just yeah. like it's always been like an, an acceptable level of villainy that he has been a part of. Um, I'm blanking on the name, the name of the guy with the baseball cards. Uh, if you if you remember him, uh, uh, Price Daniel Wormland or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like how he he had that conversation with him where he's like, "You're a criminal now." It's just like you're you know that what you're doing is criminal. Uh, are you a good criminal or a bad criminal? I think in Mike's mind, he was always a good criminal or like a good enough criminal. And now he murdered a guy and the guy he killed was a good guy. Uh, Werner Ziegler was a good man. Uh, He was worth 50 mics, apparently, which is a very valuable person. Uh, If you're worth 50 Mike Ehrmantrouts, I think that that is like, uh, I mean, how much more worth any one of us is that? That's a very pricey man, uh, Werner Ziegler. Uh, So I think that what Kaylee is is getting at here with like, did was was my, you know, did bad men kill my dad? Uh, Mike's really now having to look in the mirror of like, I'm just an outright bad guy. 
I killed Werner Ziegler. It doesn't sit well with him. Yeah, he got to punch Kai in the face, and that was super satisfying. Mm-hmm. But then the other guy read him the you know gave him the what for, and it was deserved. And I think Mike is. Uh, it's sad that he's taking it out on Kaylee right now, but I think like given like his level of probably like despair over everything, it makes a level of sense to me. It was, uh, it was. I, I mean, I agree. Although I don't understand why he didn't apologize. Mike is in a really bad place. I liked. I know that he's a Pabst man. I like seeing the Pabst in his apartment. I respect that. Uh, but he is the the drinking Mike, the Mike who's drowning his sorrows in alcohol. Um, that's a mic we saw in 5.0, or at least partially. I think some of that was a scam so he could get the drop on those two dirty cops. But you're right, Josh. Like This is speaking to his inner self-loathing over feeling like he's the one uh, who who got his, his son murdered. Uh, and it was his fault, uh, ultimately, because he told him to go along to get along, and he told him to do these things that put him in the crosshairs uh, for where these dirty cops, like Mike, ended up murdering him. And Kaylee being a representation of that, speaking, asking about her father, Father, asking about the bad guys and all of that. I understand that as a trigger. And I understand the the Werner stuff has really put Mike in a bad spot. Um, the reason that he hits Kai, of course, is because Kai says he was soft and it had to be done. Also, because Kai's just a little bit of a prick. Uh, but <laughs> the guy that comes up after that and says you're worth 50, uh, he was worth 50 of you, Mike does nothing to. Because I think Mike knows that, you, you know, on some level, you're probably right about that. Uh, and that guy walks away unscathed because th- that guy, you, you know, even though he's reading him the filth, like it is, it is accurate like it's an accurate read uh so this is i the thing that I, that I don't necessarily know that I need um rob and I'm curious what your take on this is we know where Mike and and Gus end up in Breaking Bad. We know mm-hmm. where that story goes. What we're seeing between them is a lot of, I would watch your next words if I were you, the threats like the, the scene you highlighted. And I'm just wondering, do we even need that drama knowing what we know about where this story goes with Gus and Mike? Um, I'm just wondering, like, what, what, what road are we going to hoe with, what road are we going to hoe with Mike here that is not road that we already know that we get traveled by the time we get to Breaking Bad? Well, you know, I watched a really interesting uh, video that the Ringer put out the other day about how, you know, that the Better Call Saul is really a tragedy. And, you know, it's just littered with all of these times when, you know, between Jimmy slash Saul and Mike, there's all these opportunities when they could have gotten out. That they they could have walked away. And I think that this is going to be another one of those points where for Mike... If he really wanted to, it seems like that this might be like a natural like jumping off point where that he might be able to walk away now before he gets even more involved. But something is going to cause him to jump back into this. And I don't know what that thing is going to be. Yeah, because the, the, the issue was that Mike was not going to pull the trigger. We see that throughout, uh, the arc of Mike, as you're saying, uh, the, the arc to tragedy, uh, is that we go, we go, he goes to great lengths to not pull the trigger on people. He lets Tuco Salamanca deck him in the face when Nacho has paid him basically to kill Tuco. Uh, Mike has done all these things to not pull the trigger. He goes to these great lengths to set people up on the border, to get the drugs, uh, the drug dogs on the, the Salamanca trucks and to do all these things. Yes, he 
is ready to throw down on Hector Salamanca, but Hector's in the game and Mike's wanting to do that because Hector took a good Samaritan off the board and killed him. Um, just the person that found the drug dealer that Mike had bound up uh, and left in the desert, uh, who Mike also did not take off the board. So Mike has done all these things not to pull the trigger on people. And then he does make the affirmative choice to pull the trigger on Werner um, because Gus is basically is going to do it. He knows and Gus may do worse to Werner's wife. And I think Mike also feels personally responsible. He brought Werner here. It was his responsibility to watch over him. It was his responsibility to make sure those guys were happy and he failed. So Mike is certainly taking a lot of that out on himself. So how do we get to the point where Mike becomes essentially a stone cold killer? Does he just shut off? Like, does he, does he, I, I just don't know where we're going with this because where we end up is Mike is just willing to basically kill with impunity people that are in the game, threaten people, do everything he needs to do for Gus. He's Gus's right hand. And Bring he barely a bunch works. of balloons to power lines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Know, like, like all of that has to happen. Like we're, we're still a big leap away from that. Right. So I, I just don't know. I, I don't know where we, what, what is going to happen with this. I, this is the one I don't really have the read on, on where we're going with Mike. I get the self-loathing. And I, as we've said, it was a fantastic element of season one. The best episode of season one, one of the very best episodes of the series of Better Call Saul is Mike's self-loathing in that, in that episode 5-0 in season one. But now we're just kind of going to deal with that with Mike all season long. Uh, and even though that's been simmering with his character throughout, when he blows up, for example, at the therapy session uh, at, at poor Mark Evan Jackson uh, making a one-off appearance on Better Call Saul as a mm-hmm. faker, someone yeah. who's lying about his grief. Uh, Mike blows up at him and blows Sean. up at the whole room. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I just don't know where we're going with this with Mike. And I, I, it doesn't sound like you guys have a, no. a, a hot take about it either. Not really. Not really. Um, I don't mind the show taking its time uh, figuring it out, though, because I, I think what's going on with Jimmy is is it's compelling enough. What's going on with Kim is compelling enough. Um, I'm really enjoying the the Fring versus Salamanca storyline still. Uh, and I think what Mike just did for him is so heavy that to give him like a bit of a beat to to sit with that and and figure out how to how to unravel that. Um, I'm I'm fine with the show taking its time, especially if we got to get into like Hank territory and whoever who knows what else is coming our way in the in the coming episodes. So I think uh, it's it's fine by me if if we're going a little bit slower on Mike for the time being. I can't go much slower than this, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly oh, what I was going to ask. Poor guy. <laughs> if we go any slower, I might not make it to the final season. Um, uh, boy, I don't want to jinx that. Um, Rob, did you like seeing uh, Petty with a prior Bill Oakley, the ADA, uh, back in the mix here at the courthouse? Uh, just the the constant chip foil lunch, for Jimmy McGill. Lunch. I love mm. this guy. I love this guy. Yeah. Uh, they love getting to use these uh, character actors over and over again on Better Call Saul. Yeah, this guy's been in every single season of the show. He's been in season one, two, three, four, and now five. It seems like with Jimmy going to be at the courthouse a lot more, we might be seeing more of this guy. I love that his full name is Bill Oakley, by the way. Bill Oakley, a noted uh, longtime Sim- Simpsons writer and producer. The guy who gave the world steamed hams uh, is also the name of the ADA, Bill Oakley. Wow. Uh, so I think it's really funny to see this guy. I also really liked uh, when... <laughs> When Saul Goodman shows up with his little film crew, uh, yeah, the film I, crew oh, that we've I, seen. I love that little ragtag film crew. <laughs> I love the blowout, uh, the hairdo on the, it, it was an on ama- the chick. It, she really went uh, full method for the part. Yeah, it was great. But I like that uh, he says, Jimmy shows up and says, I'm Saul Goodman. And Bill Oakley's like, who? 
Saul Goodman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he just, he was like, no, I know you. You're Jimmy McGill. Like, well, you it suck. Felt, like, it felt like a Tim and Eric commercial within, like, the, and you were watching it, like, film out in the in the context of the Better Call Saul universe, which is, like, there is that quality to all of the, 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 the Saul Goodman commercials. There is, like, that Mr. Show sensibility about it. Things, like, just moving really fast, being really absurd. But it was fun to watch that play out kind of, like, theatrically uh, with the staging of the of the confrontation uh, with Oakley, of course, being like not really like a, a great adversary for TV in that moment because no. he's mostly just like what, like, what is this? What <laughs> I gotta get this? to court. Yeah, I gotta finish my chips. Yeah, who are you today? Yeah, yeah. this is this no really one look while I bang the vending machine to make sure I get the chips out. Oh dear! Wow. Yeah. Uh, oh man, <laughs> we not doing Mike, I understand. Mike Bloom had a had a real moment with this on Down the Hatch recently, and here I am. Banging the vending machine. Uh, <laughs> Mike <good>. who? <laughs> yeah, I got to talk to you about him. Uh, uh, can I ask a question? Did, did uh, Jimmy McGill slash Saul always eat so much ice cream? Antonio, is, is this a, a new thing that is in both of these hours, uh, he's eating ice cream? What's going yeah, on? Is he that's stress a good eating? question. He, he might be stress eating. I don't. I don't really remember that. That I mean, you're right. He's doubling up on the scoops with Kim. He's eating the mint choco chip there cone that ends up in the gutter. Uh, I don't really remember his ice cream fixation. He works at a Cinnabon yeah. as Gene, I mean, so maybe he's just trying to. Was really you know uh, like close up on the ice cream cone to end the second episode. That yeah, uh, it was like an ice cream hero shot. It was like a perfect ice cream. What was cream it cone. like a, a mint chip? Yeah, it's like a mint yeah, chip a is mint what it chip. looked like. This is very. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the mint chip? Would you go for the mint chip? I'm not, not a, a fan. Fir- <laughs> no, a fan. I'm not a mint chip fan. fan. I could do a mint chip. It's like I toothpaste. Think it's just not like a top tier pick. Like you've really yeah. got to be in the mood. Or wouldn't it's like be in my uh, top thirty two flavors. Top thirty two <laughs> mint chip wouldn't even the make. thrifty thirty two. No way. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Don't give anybody ideas that they've already carried through. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That have already happened in this <laughs> Don't universe. Don't spoil where mint chip landed. Yeah. Please. This, uh, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a Saul Goodman thing, if he's been into the ice cream. I mean, ice cream has been on the show. That's what the uh, Salamancas were using as their cover, uh, the frozen novelties uh, with the truck to get their product across the border before they had to get in business with the chicken man. So I don't know uh, if if this is a character note for Jimmy McGill. I, something to keep our eyes on. Like I said, he ends up at a Cinnabon. Maybe he's just trying uh, to become diabetic or something. Like Maybe this is his goal. <laughs> Uh, is to just slowly take his life away uh, one bite at a time. I don't know. Isn't that what we're all doing anyway? Yeah, I um, think so. Yeah, Pretty this much. is a this is a this is a Jimmy McGill by the end of the episode whose ice cream is in the gutter by his own by his own design, even though he didn't intend it uh, with his fifty percent off coupon. Uh, I did not expect that that's where that story would go. We had the cold open of that second episode was your fifty percent off uh, bender with the meth heads with the skells as they <laughs> uh, the, the, the the word of the season is skells so far uh, three times I think. They they said it in these two episodes. Uh, yeah. What'd you think of that cold open, Rob? Uh, in the second episode? In the second uh, episode. It was fun. Uh, that I didn't... I thought it ended uh, like uh, very uh, un- uneventfully uh, where the guys yeah. uh, woke up. And uh, that's how I wanted to open the show. Uh, what day is it? <laughs> Tuesday! <laughs> 50% off! Yeah. Yes. I mean... and we Because this is Tuesday. It was is. that the Travelocity ro- roaming gnome there <laughs> yeah, in, the, yeah. in the gutter there, Rob? Brutal, brutal. <laughs> I had that in my yeah. notes, too. I forgot yeah. to say yeah. it. Yeah. Phil Cahogan is not going to be happy about that. No. Uh, the one-eyed gnome. Yeah. Uh, not Jessica Lee is going to be pissed, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got a podcast with her in 15 minutes. I'll, I'll check in and get her take on how she felt about the, the gnome. The gnome took some damage. 
Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> it's tough deal. Yeah, it's ended up like the teddy bear or like another character from Breaking Bad. I won't go into that grand spoiler <laughs> uh, sure, there, yeah, but sure, uh, sure. he's the one I love. Uh, all right, any other quick hits uh, that you guys want to get over from these two episodes? I have a couple things left in my notes. Rob, you said you had some things in your notes. Anything else you want to hit that we didn't touch on? Um, I'm looking through uh, everything. Um, yeah, I Got thought it. that the, the um, uh, you know, this is the show of montages. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, especially another uh, fun one was the Jimmy McGill in the t- in the tent giving out the phones to everybody. Uh, you know, they just find new ways to top themselves on the montage <laughs> front. Yeah, just like the, I was like, you may be confused uh, by the by the boys in blue, maybe misconstruing what you're up to. Like, and just like the camera panning over to these people who are like. Clearly, like they they work in the streets. Uh, really, really, really hilarious. Um, I I have it in my notes. What's up with with uh, the the loan scene for Round Howard Hamlin? Uh, he wants he wants lunch with your boy <laughs> JMM. Is that like Ron Howard Hamlin, but rounder? Yeah, but mm-hmm. rounder. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lawyer. I, I, I would love to know what that lunch is going to be about. Um, yeah. I'm curious as well. Uh, Chips I, lunch. He said, he said it's going to be chips lunch. He said it's going to be, it's going to be the best year ever for Hamlin, Hamlin, McGill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if he's sentimental at all about the McGill name. Does he maybe want to get Jimmy back into the mix? Uh, I love what he says. Howard says, so Saul Goodman and Jimmy's like, yep. And that's it. They don't say uh-huh. anything else about it. Uh, there's no questioning. Howard just throws it out there. Jimmy says, yep. And that's it. Uh, I, I love, I love Howard. So I, I would love to see more Howard and I'm curious how we bring Howard back into this storyline. Uh, like we've talked about. They have this huge cast of people that they can bring into the mix, not even mentioning that we're going to add more people to it. Uh, we've already seen Gail. We've seen Lydia. Um, we've seen people from the Breaking Bad story, but we've also just got these people like Howard Hamlin that the show has spent a lot of time with that maybe we don't have as much time for anymore uh, without the Chuck connection. So it will be fascinating to see uh, what the tie-in here is with Howard. That was definitely something that was interesting to me as well. Another interesting point for me, um, the client that Kim had, uh, the fridge guy, uh, I, I still don't know what that word that Saul called him was, Goldfridge or whatever it was. Um, I think his name was Bobby. He was playing a Game Boy. Are we in 2004 or 1994? Emily Fox still has a functional yeah, Game maybe Boy. Maybe he's a Hipster, Antonio. Yeah, so yeah, could have just thrifted it, possible. A thrifted hipster? Yeah, thriftster. I don't know. I, I just I thought he might have it like a, I thought he I thought we were in like a Game Boy Color maybe or like a, I don't know three DS. Like, are we not in DS world at that point? I don't know. It was like it was an actual old school Game Boy, which I found interesting. That was uh, cool. It was very yeah. cool. It's like very this, hip. Uh, yeah, I I would love one of those. That storyline, by the way, that did not go the way I thought it was going to go. I thought, uh, and I'm curious as to whether either of you two had this read, when Kim was not getting, when he wanted to take the thing to trial and Kim did not want to do that and was saying, settle the thing. I thought where we could end up with this is that the guy drops Kim, hires Jimmy, and Jimmy mm-hmm. takes it to trial. And that's a major pain point between the two of them. Yeah, I, that that is what I thought it was going to go in that direction. Also, where then uh, he's going to be, well, I heard about this guy that represents people for 50% off. Do you know him? Uh, and then uh, he ends up leaving Kim for Jimmy. I thought that would have really put her over the edge. 
I did like, um, speaking of Jimmy and hear about this guy and his, his capers. Uh, we see him at the beginning of episode two ironing these clothes. He's got the flip phone. He's dropping it everywhere. But, uh, within one or two scenes, he's got his famous Bluetooth device. We finally saw, uh, the, we didn't just see Jimmy become Saul Goodman. We saw him obtain, uh, Saul's magic Bluetooth device. Uh, something that was definitely a character note for Saul Full Goodman regalia. in the Breaking Bad world. Yeah. yeah. He, he's kitted out at this point. So he's got what he needs out of this the bluetooth device is part of his character and he's already working it uh within the context of just these first two episodes he is there he's running his scams too we, we joked about it but he's paying the elevator operator off so he can get time with the da the hard-ass da uh, who wants really no part of the guy uh, but by the end of it they've settled a lot of their cases and jimmy got what he wanted uh so i mean it was one of those things where i was like well of course he did that i didn't even need to see that he did it to know as soon as that elevator shut down oh, yeah. that this is something that jimmy did for sure yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. Nothing 100%. ever happens that benefits him. That's an accident. Uh, he's the, the, he's other, the magic man. He's the magic man. Well, speaking of that, the only other thing in my notes uh, that I really wanted to hit. I loved the sound mix on the scene as they're sort of approaching whatever that weird like street carnival was, uh, where Jimmy had that tent sound set up. And I just hearing, loved, like the music from all yes. the different vehicles. Yeah, it's cool. You're, it reminded me of, uh, and they, they did a similar thing, uh, with the one shot, uh, one take shot where they sort of crossed the border and went into the border, uh, in the movie Touch of Evil. They do this, uh, border crossing or border type shot. And what was released as an Orson Welles movie, what was originally released was this, uh, soundtrack heavy, like, uh, incredible shot. Uh, and then the, what, what was re-released later was supposedly this Orson Welles cut of it. And the Orson Welles cut of it is this cut where you hear the various noises that are happening happening, the music that's coming out of this bar or this restaurant, or this is happening on the street, and you're hearing this mix of sounds. Uh, and that's what I think we got here. And I thought that was, that was a really uh, a really cool thing. I mean, the show is so meticulously well-made. Uh, from that to the sequence with the bell, which I know, Rob, had to pop out for you. There it is. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just the show, the show is so well-made from a TV standpoint that uh, it's easy to get lost in the weeds of just how well-made it is, because there are three or four moments every episode where you're like, wow, that's that was really cool. I mean, yeah. the drug, the shot of the drugs going down uh, the pipe uh, with the uh, hype's face at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Like there are a lot of those little moments like shot that from throughout the, both from of the these. vending machine. Even yep. I know yep. I keep going back to chips lunch. Maybe I'm just hungry. Yeah, uh, just, but, that, but it was very cool. Like technically, it was, it was like uh, on a technical level, it was really really fun to watch that. We just got a tweet from Heidi Christensen that said, uh, did you panic for Papa? Uh, yeah. I did. What a rough go for Nacho. So everyone's on Papa Patrol. Uh, <laughs> Papa Patrol. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we got the hashtag for the episode. Yeah, all right. Sure. Anything else you guys want to hit before we wrap up here? Uh, no, not not for me. I, th- I think a really strong start to the, to the season. Um, I think really just the way that they're going right in on uh, Jimmy's first days on the job as officially Saul Goodman. I think that they've done a really good job with that. I think it's okay to be low and slow with Mike for now. Uh, and I'm, I'm really curious to see what's cooking up with the, with the Salamanca story, especially as Jimmy's getting roped into to all of that. Rob, any, any final takes uh, as you're, as you're weighing in on Saul before the next time we get your, uh, get, get to have you on the podcast. Well, here. thank God we got the crazy eight backstory because that yeah. was one of the things that really <laughs> bugged me for years. I was like, <laughs> why, why is this guy crazy eight? Why? Uh, so to, to have that play out in real time, uh, <laughs> that was a really cool moment for me. Yeah, now yeah. we know he folded with a set. Never do that. Never play poker with your drug dealer boss. I yeah. think it's just a good rule of life, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's crazy? Did he throw the game? Because I think I would be afraid to beat Lalo. 
I definitely think that's what happened. He knew he had a good hand, right? Like he mm-hmm. just he didn't raise when it when he when he got through. It's like he knew that he had a good hand, but he did not want to uh, uh, show up. There's no winning in that scenario. You show up, Lalo. You're just as bad if you as if you fold in front of him. I don't think he's going to like it either way. Like there's just no winning. Don't play poker with that guy. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. What's a what's a better nickname? Uh, Crazy Eight or Rusty? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think Crazy Eight stuck better. Yeah, I feel like a Rusty though. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no spoilers uh, in terms of uh, how <laughs> what Rusty's fate is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. That's a different spinoff. <laughs> All right, Josh. How can people reach out to us if they want to yeah. send feedback on any of these episodes or get in touch with the podcast? Sure. All right. Well, first off, we on Twitter. You can tweet at us. I am at Round Howard, not Hamlin. Uh, Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's and how many R's, Antonio? Two Z's, one R. Uh, Rob, do you want people to talk to you about Better Call Saul, or would you like them to stay away from your mentions? Yeah, I may not always be caught up, so I feel like that yeah, you're so more likely to spoil me. So there's no way that you're going to even know how to contact Rob if you wanted to. Is you're, the done. Good news. <laughs> uh, you're done. Uh, you're done. Feed- I'll call you, don't call me, okay? You can, you can send feedback through all those Twitter channels. We also have postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Uh, I believe we have an email address as well that I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, bcs at postshowrecaps.com. Yeah, and I, uh, we're we're working on some of the kinks. We've heard that uh, some of the messages aren't coming down the pipe the way that they're supposed to. Uh, so we will we will we will send somebody up on a Josh, ladder. Is there something stuck in the pipe? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, are you gonna arrest yourself? Like yeah, how's simple. this gonna work? Right, just get up there, you bang on it a bunch of times. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, you simply bang on it. Uh, simply yeah. bang on it. It simply comes Stop out. That. Yeah. Stop that, you Mike. Sim- you simply bang the vending machine. Uh, yeah, so we'll see how all of that plays out. But those are the ways to get in touch with us. And uh, of course, we've got a ton going on on Poster Recaps Beyond Better Call Saul, Down the Hatch, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Star Trek Picard, uh, and The Walking Dead, uh, which is recording momentarily. So a big, uh, a big influx of podcasts, not unlike The Pipe being unpl- un- unclogged on, on your Wednesday morning. You should have a whole lot of podcasting to, to choose from. Uh, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive indeed. The pipes will be unclogged, uh, mm-hmm. but your phone will be fully jammed. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can always subscribe. Is the uh, link, uh, what is it, BCS iTunes? or I'm sorry, does anyone know what that link is? I don't know what the link is uh, at this point. I'll say it's postrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes. Yeah, I okay. I think that's it. Yeah, All right. Wow. Yeah, so that's how you find us on Apple. We're on your podcast of choice. We're on Spotify post-show recaps. Yeah. This is very exciting stuff that we're on Spotify. Uh, follow post-show recaps on Spotify if that's how you enjoy your podcast. It's a doable thing. What a world. What a time to be alive, That's as what you I said. said before, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can listen to us on your Bluetooth device if you have yeah. one of those in your ear. <laughs> yeah. Play us on your Game Boys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I listen on my AM radio? <laughs> That's the only way you can't listen, actually. We're not on AM radio right now. <laughs> no transistor. Sorry, you're oh, done. Oh, <laughs> All right, this man. podcast is done. Go to your All room. Right, Thank, All right. thanks, thanks, everybody, for listening. Go to your room. No dinner. Uh, no apologies from any of us. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye.